This is Ray Shah, and I'm with Henry Poydar. Um, Henry, what's your company name again? The company name is called Status Hero, Status Hero Inc. And we uh, yeah. own and operate one product, and it's called Status Hero. Right, Status so Hero. Status Hero, um, as far as I understand, solves the problem of making sure that everybody's on the same page uh, within a team and uh, understands the, the, the goals that they're uh, approaching. Henry has developed this product on his own um, uh, and uh, without external funding, which is very interesting. Well, up until recently, but yes. Okay, yeah, up until recently, right. So um, anyway, so I've got a bunch of questions for you. Did sure. I leave anything out about your about your startup? No, I mean, we, we broadly call it alignment software. Yeah. Um, because we find it doesn't really fit in it neatly into these other categories of communications or productivity or project management or HR. So we just call it alignment software. Okay. So uh, tell me about what how you got to your company. Um, and sure. I mean, what happened before? Like, presumably you went to university. Well, tell me where you're from, first of all, and then how you got there, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Boston. I'm from the Boston suburbs. Um, I went to Tufts and studied mechanical engineering and emerged from Tufts right when the internet was just beginning, you know, gray HTML pages and Netscape and Mosaic and stuff like that. And I immediately was enamored by that, by that tech and started exploring it and getting good at it and doing some consulting work. And I eventually, after a few years in Boston, moved to New York and worked for a big branding design agency. And I was, I think their second technical hire. So my- Which my which which agency was it? It was called Studio Archetype. Oh, I heard of them. Yeah, are they yeah, still it was founded by Clement Mock, who worked at Apple. Um, I left that world and went back to the world of, of uh, individual web consulting and startups. So, could um, you just tell me what those, what those, what were those startups? And you, you mentioned the different roles you had, but can you tell me a little bit about each? Well, I'll tell you what the most important one was. Okay. In, so in two thousand in two thousand nine, I believe, or two thousand ten, I founded a company called uh, Bantam Live. We, it was called Bantam um, Bantam Networks, and we had a product called Bantam Live. And it was the first social CRM. So it was a CRM tool, but we were pulling in this brand new tech uh, called social media into the CRM app. So you could use it as a small business to create leads uh, by harvesting Twitter. Um, so I was a co-founder there as a CTO. And uh, our company was, was acquired by Constant Contact, which is the big email marketing yeah. company. Yeah. Um, and so I spent the next boy, four, four years working for Constant Contact. And at first, my job was to essentially take the thing that we built at Bantam and um, uh, merge it into their tech stack and replace some of these legacy systems that they had. So it was a giant system integration project. Um, so, I've, done, I've done some of those. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're kind of exciting, but they're also kind of hairy a little bit because I guess that's why they're exciting is because, you know, especially when you uh, sometimes uh, in some jobs I've had instances where we couldn't duplicate the uh, production environment and you had to, you had to run, 
you know, you had to yeah. run directly against because uh, we were dealing with mainframes and you had to run directly against the, the mainframe. There was no yeah. staging or dead. Right. There was so it was a little hairy, very exciting, but a little hairy. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so, super hairy. I mean, they had an uh, IBM DB2 database and email marketing yeah. is a an operation that generates uh, millions of rows in a database, like per minute, per second, right? Because of all the logging and tracking and stuff like that. So that's the system we are working with. And then replacing the way that they, the system was managing contacts with the CRM technology that we built at Bantam. Interesting. Yeah. So, and now, so was that the last, so, was that the last startup? So, that was, so yeah, so I, 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 when I left Constant Contact after that project and I worked on a couple of other projects there and, and, and made some great connections, I kind of took a step back um, because that was a, a crazy period and decided that I really wanted to um, go back to actually coding and building something with my own hands. And I looked at the biggest problem that I had as a leader and a manager at Constant Contact, which was alignment and which was figuring out what was going on with my um, with my project and my responsibility and my ownership of, of what I needed to get done across different offices, geographies, uh, disciplines, design, engineering, DevOps, ops, um, and, and how to put that under one umbrella and figure out what was going on. Like what, what, what did I need as a, um, as a leader to make sure that my effort was aligned? And so that's that's the genesis of Status Hero. Um, and so the way I started it was as a very simple survey tool. So essentially it would operate over email and replace a standup meeting essentially for everybody within a team. And it would send everybody an email and say, hey, what are you, uh, what'd you work on yesterday? Here's what you said you were gonna do, by the way, from the last email. Uh, what are your intentions? What do you plan to get done today? And are you blocked? Do you need some help? Do you, is it pencils down and a manager needs to unblock you in some way? And so that became Status Hero as an app. And uh, eventually, over the course of five can, years... Can, sure. can I hold you there just for a second? Because sure. that's a really interesting concept to replace a stand-up with an email. Um, yeah. Because for one thing, you know, in the stand-up, you have the... Um, you know, whether it's remote, but obviously in person, even more so, you have the the personal connection that's happening, um, which I know it can take time. You know, sometimes, you know, 10 minutes stand up can take half an hour, which is not good. But but um, what do you gain through the email? What do you lose? Through, I mean, I can guess, but what do you lose through the email is my other question. Yeah, well, I mean, I could tell you, but, and this was true then as it is today, is that modern work is totally distributed. So the concept of everybody on in a single effort coming into a room and having a stand-up meeting at 9.15 is actually pretty rare, right? Like the effort that I worked on, there was people in Boston, there was people in San Francisco, there was people in New York. There were different time zones, there were different schedules. Some people didn't work on Fridays, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Everybody's distributed. So in all the stand-ups that I've had since 2010, it's been a Zoom. Maybe there's some people in the room. Maybe there's not, but it is distributed. So that's problem number one, right? Because getting those people distributed into the same place uh, is, is really, really difficult. And as you know, 
like when you've got contributors who rely, who are who are mining their own ability to do deep work, if you pull them into a meeting at say 10:45, they're that's a half day of work that they're not doing, right? Because they're going to like, oh, I've got this meeting at 10:45. I can't really spin up and get into this problem because I know I'm going to have to pull back. So they don't do anything before the meeting ends. They're like, well, you know, I guess it's like another half hour to lunch. I don't want to spin up and get back into my in groove here and then have to go have lunch. So I'm going to just wait and, and start working in the afternoon. And that's what happens. Okay. No, that makes sense. Sorry. So I did interrupt you. You were saying about the first, you were saying about um, five years in the, the email yeah. was still the tool and then something happened in five years. So yeah. Happened? So, so, so I built an operated status here on my own from when I left constant contact to um, the first quarter 22 by myself. So I did all the support, I built the product, I deployed the product, I did the DevOps, and the tools and the tech enabled that, right? Like that wasn't possible um, a few years before, but um, managed hosting made that possible, AWS made that possible, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and, and I enjoyed that work, I really did. It felt like, um, like the analog I always say was uh, when you're building product, it's, it's like a good product and craft is like building good furniture. You know, and I felt like I was close to the metal in the code building yeah. furniture. And I'm not a designer, but I can get 80% of the way, I think, with my product knowledge and the fact that I've been in the air with other amazing designers throughout my career. So I was mm. able to get what I needed to get done. Um, and I took it to a million ARR, which was a big, which was my milestone. It was like, okay, can I do this by myself? and build this up to a million dollar business and enjoy myself doing it. And the answer to that is yes. And it took a long time. It took five years. It's not an overnight success by any means, but um, that's what I did. And so uh, when I hit that milestone, I had a choice to make. I'm like, okay, what do I do here? Do I sell this? Do I find it a home somewhere else? Um, or do I think about growing this business? Um, and then there's different avenues for that. As you know, there's the path that I took, which I think is a considered kind of um, sustainable path to growth. And then there's the the venture path to, path to growth, which in 21, when I started to think about how I was going to raise money, that's a different story. That's growth at all costs, growth over profitability, and um, you know, not seeing profit for for two or three subsequent rounds of fundraising. Right. So that actually goes to, so um, that goes to one of my later questions, which was um, how does your lack of investor, um, you know, because you didn't have an investor to begin with, what yeah. did that enable you to do? What did it inhibit you from doing? Not having an investor, what did it enable me to do and inhibit? Well, and I mean, from the inhibit side, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> You know, being truly being your own boss is only possible when there's no other stakeholders, right? So, you know, I only had the answer to myself, and that was incredibly liberating. Um, I think the hard part of that is because nobody else has skin in the game, you really have to um, seek out considered advice, right? Like it, like it's hard to get uh, an objective view. From somebody who's not in it every day and especially somebody who has no no skin in the game so one of the things that i gain now because 
the end, the end part of that story is I did raise a, a seed round of money at the beginning of 22 and hired uh, a, a really talented group of six people that are that work with me today to build the, the second version of the product and to grow it. Um, but before that, before that happened, I didn't have the advantage of of being able to call up another stakeholder or call up a partner or call up a co-founder mm. and to get um, um, answers to immediate questions or, or help with all these decisions that need to be made on a day. So let's, let's just dwell there for a second. So you didn't have this outside count. You didn't have a second voice. You were just bouncing off yourself. What ways, what, like without going to seed capital or anything like that, how would you address that now? Or do you think seed capital is the only way to address that kind of? I, d- I don't, yeah, I don't think it's the only way to address it. I, I was introduced to it when I was at Constant Contact to a wonderful community called MicroConf. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of them no. before. Um, so so I forget to the, the uh, Rob Walling and Mike Tabor were the founders of, of this conference called MicroConf. And the idea is that there is a class of software developers called micropreneurs. And there were people like me who are interested in bootstrapping their way to, um, and I won't say a lifestyle company, but an independent software company. Um, And so they have conferences every year. We've got tons of great videos. And through those conferences, I actually met many, many other people who were in my shoes. And with a few of them, I formed a, a, what's called a mastermind group. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. but Yeah, it sounds like, is that like an accountability group? Or... It is, it yeah. is. And so, and to this day, I have a standing meeting with these three other people and they have their businesses and I have mine. And it's changed over, you know, we've been, I think, had the standing call for over six years now. Yeah, is that like at the end of the week, at the beginning of the week or...? on a thursday oh right okay so because i i have a an accountability group i'm part of it's not just software people but everybody everyone's lives and careers is affected by software so it's definitely part of it and we meet on a friday morning we meet every friday morning for an hour oh that's great yeah but it's a lot more than three people so everybody gets a very small slice so um yeah Yeah. i like the the idea of three people is is very good yeah that's great. Yeah. I mean, our challenge is like, like there's someone who usually has to drop out at some point. Like it's rare that we get the four of us together, unfortunately, but, um, but it's been great. I've learned a lot from them and hopefully they've learned from me. So they were there throughout the five years that you, that they you were a micropreneur on your own. They were. They were. Okay. That's so great. That was, I'd say, I would say my avenue there, but I didn't have the traditional. Oh, and your family, so, right? Your, your wife. Of course. Even, yes. Even yes. Your children, my, my wife's been wonderful. Have- yeah. Yeah. Very supportive. Um, and yes, telling your spouse that um, you're going to stop doing this thing that that earned a lot of money and go do this other thing that you're not sure about is uh, always uh, requires a very special person to, to be receptive yeah. to that. Yeah, that's true. Great. That's very yeah. true. So um, if you could, so those, let's wind back those five years. <clears throat> if you could do anything differently, what would you do differently? Yeah. Um, so I, I knew you were going to ask me something like this. So I thought about it a little bit. Um, with the way that I sought out the investment, um, I would say that I would do that differently now only because 
Uh, well, well, a couple of things. One is that the, the, the investment landscape has totally changed and it really changed between the time I decided to start raising money and the time I actually closed the seed round. So in 2021, venture and um, venture backed growth was still a huge thing, right? Like big rounds of money. And that just started teetering off at the beginning of 22 to almost a trickle to nothing at the end of end of 22. So I was hitting that inflection point and my, my um, initial strategy was to take all the calls and to talk to anybody who might be interested in, in our startup. But what I quickly realized is that there's just a class of investors out there who are looking for, who just have a thesis. And it's, and what I, I think I would have done differently is understand whose thesis would be more applicable to me um, and not taken as many meetings and wasted as much time with people who um, probably we weren't a fit to begin with. And I should have known that. So how, how can you figure out who's a fit without talking to them? Well, you can, you could do a lot of research and mm. understand what their thesis is, see where they've invested before, talk to the other founders, talk to people who've, who they've invested in and the majority of investors um, institutional investors were not a fit for status hero and not a fit for me because I'm saying to them like, Hey, I'm Henry. I'm not swinging for the fences. I've got a million AR. We've got product market fit. I'm building version two of this thing. You know, I've got a great opportunity for you to like four or five extra money. Cause we're going to try and hit 10 million AR within the next three or four years. And that's not a compelling argument. Really? <laughs> but no, not at all. They, they want to hear, they want to hear like, you're going to build, a, you know, a hundred to, they want to invest in the seed round now, and then they want to invest in the series A, and then they want a piece of whatever happens after that, because they want you to eventually become a $150, 250000000 million company, and then start down the IPO path. So hold, and, hold on, let's just, let's just look at the market for a second. Yeah. Are you telling me there's not $150 million worth of money out there for your product? within the United States. Oh, I, well, I, th I totally problem. think there is. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, no, <laughs> but the RTAM is enormous, enormous. Um, the alignment problem is 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 enormous. I mean, we could talk to, to any, we, we focus on tech orgs, but you could talk to any org, like there's, uh, it's it, modern work is in disarray. Like our product is, is, is medication for a lot of pain. Um, but what I'm saying is that a lot of investment firms, particularly at the end or during 21, their thesis was to have 10 status heroes and assume nine out of 10 of them are going to fail and right. one of them is going to go and hit an IPO. So I, I should have known, I know, I knew then, but I didn't think about it as much that um, I don't want to be a part of a portfolio where where there's, uh, you know, the investor thinks that I've got a one in 10 chance of, of making it, right? Like I want someone who I can call when I need to make a hire. I want someone who's on the same page with me when it comes to growth. And so I ended up in that getting exactly what I wanted, but I took the long way around. So Okay, that's yeah. that's great. So that, that leads to the, um, I, well, are you planning some sort of exit IPO or anything like that. I mean, it seems like this is your love, right? So I don't think, I don't see you leaving this anytime soon. 
Like you love solving this problem, obviously, Henry. I so, do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy yeah. the people I work with every right. day too. So you're not there, there's no exit strategy per se right now for you. No, the the, the North Star focus right now is hitting this 10 million AR revenue goal. And then, would you do an IPO at some point, or is that not not really something you want to do? I I mean. I've, I've thought about all those paths and I know, I think the thing that makes the most sense is for me not to get distracted by that kind of thinking and to yeah. stay focused on the 10 million ARR goal. Right. And then after the 10 million, I mean, I know that's like, you'll see, see when you get there and then we'll see when we get there. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it, it also has to, you know, I think the industry in general, as you've seen over the years has yeah. this, this these waves of bundling and unbundling and we're sort of yeah. at the end of this unbundling phase right, right. where there's everybody's got a bunch of different SaaS software and i'm sure like the atlassians of the world would love to have all the companies under one under their umbrella and microsoft wants everybody to be under microsoft um, but that nobody does that right like we're all using all these different tools and all these different stacks so i yeah. think we're headed for a bundling phase here well, um, that's interesting um, i was yeah. going to ask you so I mean, you're perfectly placed, really, to tell me where you think the IT industry is, is heading, which is what you're beginning to answer. But then, the other, my other question was, where is the invest? Where where are investors heading? How is that? Because if you're if if you're a, a budding entrepreneur and you want to raise money or support or at least have you know advice on on what who to hire or any of those things. Where do you think, because you discussed how you kind of, well, if I can paraphrase, you almost missed the sweet, well, you kind of did miss the sweet spot, right? I did. Yeah, yeah you missed I was at the, the end spot. of the sweet spot. Right. Yeah. So you missed the sweet spot. So where when is the next, I mean, I'm not asking you to be a crystal ball here, but what? where do you see, so two questions really, where do you see tech going? You talked about bundling and where, and then after that, where do you see investors going and how can entrepreneurs benefit what, what what would be the most beneficial approach, you know, projecting forward? Yeah, I mean, so so I think there's there's hype cycles, right? There is certainly a hype cycle hype cycle with with crypto, and you know, I'm a fan of blockchain technology, but you know, when was the last time you and I used the blockchain? I don't know. We're not still not using it to solve any problems, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Um, I think we're just at the, it's it's a long tail tech and it's going to take a long time to develop. AI is um, is super interesting, um, but again, like the hype is through the roof and I think there's going to be a shakeout with um, how AI is used to solve actual problems. I'll give you a great example. I railed about this in a LinkedIn post. Using generative AI all the time for everything, I think is going to be result in a, a giant pile of 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 junk here and there especially in corporate knowledge break knowledge bases right which is supposed to be the brain of your company yeah, that's very gen gen gently worded that's very gently worded carry on yeah so, so junk. you call it junk yeah yeah so i like i don't want i don't want our knowledge base filled up with something that's generated by it, it, it I, I want thinking i want rationale i want you know the human capital to produce to produce value and that's the thing that's in the knowledge base not something that's machine generated so um so i think there's a ton of startups and there's a ton of investment money that's chasing some of these things but i think 
where it will emerge and be really interesting is where it solves real problems. And so when I think about these things, I, I still think that that real problems need to be solved. And that's where the the, the opportunities are. Um, and so when you look at something like Status Hero, people ask me all the time, like, well, what are you doing with AI for Status Hero? And I'll tell them, I say, well, we're collecting this corpus of, of knowledge from companies that include attentions and accomplishments and data from all their tools. And we're leveraging AI to synthesize that and summarize it, which is, I think, incredibly, incredibly valuable, right? Um, if you could take all of the the standups that you had across your whole company and summarize that into a paragraph and then have that be your presidential daily brief every day as a CEO. I mean, I think that would be incredibly powerful and that's what, that's what we're building. Um, so you, you're building that. Are you, when you say summarizing, are you building dashboards and stuff like that or? Yeah. I mean, we already have dashboards. We have team level dashboards. We have filtered dashboards by, by um, things like tags and things by like, uh, well, any kind of, data vector you can think of. Um, segue back to where the investment landscape is going yeah, and yeah. how how um, entrepreneurs can can uh, best leverage that. Yeah, it's it's around real problem solving and like and avoiding the shiny new toy syndrome. Um, you know, I, th I see a lot of the good opportunities I see are people are chasing them already, right? There's um, the low hanging fruit, which is like, transcription and things like that. And then there's the hard problems in healthcare, um, biotech, stuff like that, which I think is AI is going to be enormously useful. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, do you have any questions for me or? Uh, no, I didn't. I think we we talked about it uh, off yeah. camera a little bit. Yeah, we <laughs> did. About, about think design and, and yeah. what you guys are doing. But um, yeah, no. So thank you so much, Henry.